You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com, July 23rd, 2007, Episode 29, Mass-Produced Meditators. In this episode, Vince talks with Theo Haresh and Duff McDuffie, two Goenka practitioners. They discuss the effects of what can be called the mass production of meditators. They also explore the differences in using a single technique versus multiple techniques for realization. This is part two of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To find out more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive a free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit www.donoharm.us. So maybe going back to the idea of the mass-produced meditator, do you, do you see there being a ton of practitioners coming out of this tradition that that are deeply, you know, realized in some some fashion that they actually have a deep realization and maybe are actually deep people, like they're good people, they have integrity. Um, well, we got two right here that are pretty deep. <laughs> well, I, I see that's what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not so convinced, but <laughs> just Maybe your tradition. Well, we're convinced because we're with Vince. Um, <laughs> so, my experience of the people that are produced in this tradition, the traits that are produced in this tradition, are purity of behavioral patterns and purity of mind motivation. I I don't find people having strange cravings that have been in this tradition for a long time. They don't seem to have strange behavioral patterns. They seem to be pretty normal, simple people, and they seem to have deep integrity. Mm. I also find rigidity to be there. But it's a certain mental rigidity where emotionally they're pretty fluid Mm. and relaxed. In some ways, they're, they're very trustworthy people. I think in a tradition emphasizing purity that has a lot of um, that's doing a lot of work to actually bring about purity, uh, purity of all these habit patterns of the mind. I think you're going to get really pure people in a lot of ways, people that can be trusted, people that have integrity. Yeah, I would, I would say that's true from people I've seen from the tradition as well. They're almost. I don't know if the word conventional strikes me, but something about just being really solid and yeah, it kind of just reflects the tradition metaphorically. Like can handle a lot of pain <laughs> and a lot of focus within that structure of just really intense experience and really calmly. And at the same time, yeah, maybe what Theo was saying about mental rigidity, because there's, there's some sort of thing that's not quite as flexible as some traditions where maybe there's more techniques or there's more, um, focus on other experiences or more, fo- more focus on say yoga and moving the body um, because you can't really do yoga on a 10 day Vipassana course. Mm. I'm wondering too, uh, from the people that I've spoken with, there, there are at least two other things. One is I've noticed a hint of evangelicism from practitioners who practice in the Goenka tradition, like, Oh, you should go check out SN Goenka and you can do the 10 day retreat for free. So I was wondering if that's part of, the, tr- the traits or the characteristics that are mass produced with this system. He encourages it very, very mildly on the 10th day of the course, I believe it is. And he, he puts in some hints here and there. 
but he does sort of sanction that evangelicalism. And I actually think it's a really good thing. I think there's more people getting more benefit from meditation in the world because of that. I used to hate it and I refused to invite anybody to courses because of it. And then I realized, wow, everybody I've taken out of the three or four people I've taken to a course, two of them have said on the day after it that they've never felt so good in their lives. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, there's something about respecting where people are at and there's, that's really wonderful. And there's something about sanctioning them and their lameness and their, <laughs> and their poor behaviors and their foggy minds. Mm. When we have an answer and we don't share it with them, it's sort of strange. Mm. Mm. So maybe evangelicism looked at, you know, in a positive light is actually helping people get turned on to something that could really make a huge difference for them. Even if that's, you know, a meditation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a way of encouraging the bodhisattva vow, of sharing the technique with other people or sharing the method with those who are interested. And I would, I would agree, I think it's a, a pretty mild encouragement from Goenka to do that. It's very different, say, from, say, Tony Robbins, who encourages you to sign people up right there in the seminar um, by calling them or by putting them down on an email list, that sort of thing. Not anything like that. And, though, you know, Tony Robbins is much more of the epitome of American personal and spiritual development um, in that regard, just like over the top pushiness, very, very different than Guenka, who's like the, the mild, Hey, share it with your friends. If you think they'll benefit. Mm. Interesting. You know, one thing I uh, want to go back to a question you asked earlier about what kind of people does this uh, production system produce? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe, maybe added to that, what kind of people does it generally attract to I think that'd be a neat question to answer. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually find that the people that it attracts tend to be a smorgasbord of seekers Mm. from all kinds of different traditions, Um, particularly when you get in a place like California where there's a lot more seekers from different traditions. But I emphasized all these good qualities around purity and integrity and I didn't say honesty, but I find incredible trust with these people. But the thing that they seem to be missing is dynamism, creativity, personal integration, and... um, the ability to serve with intelligence, real solid intelligence, innovation. I don't think they're going to transform the world. They can't be at the leading edge because they haven't integrated all of their other experiences. The meditation tradition doesn't allow it. It doesn't provide space for it. And very few people do several intensive practices, I've found. Most people seem to have one very intensive practice they do. Mm with a bunch of little things on the side that mm. don't really affect them very much. I guess you and I, Theo, are the kind of the exception to that as uh, being pretty firm. I, I wouldn't say I'm as deep as you are by any means in the Vipassana tradition, um, but we also have gone out and done other extreme or intensive practices. And of course, that's expressly forbidden in the Vipassana tradition. So I could be uh, banned from all future courses just by saying that right now. But uh, <laughs> I Personally, I've seen that as a path that I've taken and it's been really important. You know, so I'm pursuing an intense yogasana practice right now, um, which I feel deeply complements Vipassana. Mm-hmm. And in, to uh, Vipassana's defense or Gwenka's defense, um, yoga is encouraged and said is a good thing, um, but just there's just no private space to do it in most course locations. Um, but pretty much all other techniques are strictly forbidden or at least strongly encouraged against, and maybe for good reason, we might want to go into that as well. 
in terms of in mass production, oftentimes you have to simplify something in order to produce it massively. Mm -hmm. Like Henry Ford, it only comes in black. Uh, the Model T only came in one color for years and years and years. Um, so similarly, Vipassana, there's only one technique. Uh, there's other techniques and they're good. Goenka is real careful to say there's other techniques. They're good. Most of them, some of them aren't so good. Uh, and he won't name exactly what they are. Um, but then he says, but you should definitely just focus on one. Just pick one technique. Yeah. And I've personally found that in utilizing multiple techniques that there is a massive loss of focus. Mm. As in Goenka compares it to riding on a white horse. And then you see this other black horse coming along and you say, I'd like to be on that black horse and trying to change horses while you're in the middle of riding and you can't do it. You're going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. And that often happens in intensive practice. Someone has to be prepared for that. It's part of the nature of a process being so streamlined, focused, intensive, which is the nature of the mass produced experience that it doesn't allow for a lot of movement. An assembly line doesn't allow workers room for creative endeavor. Mm. So here's, here's maybe a criticism one could mount against what you're saying, the mass production. Hasn't this happened in the past with other traditions? In the Buddhist tradition, in other schools, at other times, wasn't the Buddha mass producing, you know, really deeply enlightened people? Well, you know, in Tibet, weren't they doing the same thing? How is this different? And why is it any better? I'd say other traditions have almost always emphasized more of a personal relationship with some kind of teacher. They've usually been done much more in a community context. They've usually been integrated within their, the cultures in which they've occurred. Usually someone pursuing the intensive practice at periodic intervals would also be doing it intensively outside of those periodic intervals as well, which means it would be much more integrated in their lives. Mm. And this brings up an important point. Mass production of meditation in this case could only be done with technology, with videotape and audio tape technology. It's not, you know, high tech by any means nowadays, you know, with this podcasting that we're doing right now, but you couldn't really remove the teaching from the teacher. Uh, maybe you could have done it with writing and someone could have read off the writing instruction before that. But um, to do it in this particular way really required audio and video media technology. And I'd say franchising out the whole notion of replicating exactly the system used in one place. Well, I do think that the franchise was developed by monasteries. I mean, think about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. What other institution in the history of the world would replicate itself all over the world in different forms and patterns, but to do it in such a streamlined format that could be thrown together so quickly, I don't even think it had to await only the franchise, I think it had to, for this um, model to thrive, I think we almost had to hit the post-industrial era where we can rapidly throw together projects in different places at different times according to a set pattern. Um, because a huge number of these courses aren't in set stable centers. It's someplace has been rented. Mm. I have a question related to this as well. Um, in terms of mass producing spirituality or spiritual growth, how does Vipassana tradition, I don't know if Anyone here has a lot of experience with the Bikram yoga tradition, but it's similar in some ways in terms of uh, Bikram took all the possible asanas one could do and reduced it to a very small number, put it in the one sequence, and you do that one sequence every class the exact same way. So in some ways, he and he has been interviewed recently and said he, he copied the fast food franchise model. And he had that in mind when he did it, which is very surprising. I just found that out in 
Business 2.0 magazine, weirdly enough, lately. <laughs> so I'm just curious because my impression of Bikram Yoga is it's shallow and superficial, um, that it radically reduces the tradition of Yogasana or yoga in particular to you know less than 100 asanas in one particular sequence, um, which is beneficial on some level, but really narrow and on another. Mm. Um, but my impression of Apashana in Goenka's tradition is actually it maintains most of the depth and integrity of Apashana, but maybe I'm completely mistaken. So Yeah, I I would say maybe of that particular technique, but if you took take it within the larger framework of Theravada mm. Buddhism, it's definitely narrow mm. in that there are hundreds of different insight practices from that tradition and all kinds of different streams of theory and practice and different moral ways of being with each other and community context like Theo was mentioning. Mm. So in that sense, it sounds like Bikram is to yoga asana as Goenka is to the Theravada Buddhist tradition. Yeah, that might very well be the case. Um, so I guess in general, the question is for an individual, how do they choose? How do they choose whether to focus intensely on one thing, um, like take just one technique and master it like Goenka recommends, or especially in the postmodern or post-postmodern age that we're in currently, we have access to every possible technique that's ever been created. Should we try to sample various techniques and then focus? Should we sample lots of different techniques? Should we go deep, deep in one and then branch out or just go deep in one? Excellent point. I think one thing we have to really recognize is this fact that we have more therapeutic and spiritual practices available to us now, particularly if you're online or in a postmodern college town in the United States like Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> we have more practices available to us than anyone at any period in history. Right. And most of us are doing a number of practices. Sort of contradicts something earlier that I was saying about most of us only do one practice very intensively. I think that's kind of true, um, but most of us have played around with multiple different practices and we can easily become stuck in this morass of mm. experimenting and exploring. And I think Goenka was deeply attentive to that when he began getting people focused. There was one historic break that he had with the Insight Meditation Society. Yep, yep. And um, the only report I've heard of it is the incredible maturity with which... Uh, Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein led the group through the process of losing a teacher like Goenka in such an intense way. Yeah. But I think he had deep concerns that people were going to become very shallow and eclectic. Right. Which, which, you know, Jack Cornfield and his center, I was just there earlier this year and, you know, you could, you could say that they are eclectic to the point of perhaps losing some of the depth um, that Goenka's tradition has helped create. So an interesting point. A big question for me is if I'm often wondering if Essengoenka has mistaken what's true for occupational roles, that to get good at something, you have to master one thing. And he's applied it to practices that should influence the way we integrate our lives. Hmm. And to do one practice, we might go very deep in focus, but we might not integrate our lives. And the big question for me is, do we want to be deep and focused and pure or do we want to be integrated and whole and all that we can be as human beings? It's a great question. And related to that though, can we choose to be integrated with enough focus if we haven't 
practiced being focused. Um, so maybe we can't fully integrate our lives until we have the depth of focus, the one-pointed attention to actually contemplate all these different possibilities and sort through them with any sort of clarity. Right. So imagine, imagine if we were still riding around in the, the Ford T, you know, the first T model. <laughs> doing Vipassana. Um, doing Vipassana <laughs> with Goenka, you know, streaming live <laughs> on Buddhist Geeks. There we go. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming in uh, and chatting with us about this topic. Thanks for having us on. This is really fun. Yeah. Thanks, Vince. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com. Copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.